you are listening to Pastor Mike Griner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled Firestarter, recorded on September 8th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's so good to be here, so just to worship God with you. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest. You could be in any one of four locations uh, and be a first-time guest with us. My name is Mike, and I get to bring the sermon to you. It is September. It's time where we kick off everything new. School gets started, uh, and church church calendar kind of follows school. So it's after Labor Day, and um, so there's a couple extra things I need to add before the sermon. One, um, I want, I'm going to read something to you, okay? Ready? This is all script. It's all script. I'm just going to read it straight like it was given to me. The Halls, Christian and Megan, and their three boys. I'm going to re- read it dramatically. They have been part of Harvest family for the last nine years. Isn't that dramatic? They are members here. And we, as their home church, are sending them to Asia Pacific to take the gospel to a language group who doesn't have God's word in their language. This is a good speech. They have been away for the last two years as they received training to do this ministry. They plan to be here with us until March. And you will have the opportunity to get to know them. They desire to get to know each campus and will be involved in several of our community groups. Please get to know them. Pray about how God would have you partner with them and take the gospel to an unreached people group. That is the official message now from my heart. From my heart. These are the, these are the end times. It is crucial that the gospel get to the nations. It is a beautiful thing to be a part of this young family's lives. See their dedication to Christ and know we can partner with them in ministry. So we ask you to get to know them to see if God would lay it on your heart to support them personally by becoming a friend financially in prayer and throughout however long God sends them. Just think there's a place right now that does not have the church of Jesus Christ and they want to go and bring the gospel there. Uh, What an exciting thing to be a part of. Uh, I know uh, Christian, um, since he was a teenager, I've known Megan. I don't know if she was a teenager when I first met her or not. Uh, A little less than that. Um, They love Jesus. They have good hearts. And in fact, Megan is going to help us um, with our children's ministry at the Freeport campus. Um, Freeport campus meets on Sunday evenings. If you ever can't get to church on either Friday night at Catanning or any of our Sunday services at the other campuses, you can go Sunday night to Freeport at 6 o'clock and we have a brand new children's ministry starting and Megan is actually going to help. But that's what they're like. I tell them what we're doing. They say, how can we help? And I'm excited about them going, so please get to know them. Don't let them just be my friends. Um, Make them yours as you get the chance. Okay, now we're going to get to the Gospel of Mark. It's a brand new book. I love preaching through any book of the Bible that I have, but there's nothing like the Gospels. There's nothing like the Gospels. I'd rather preach through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John than anything else because it's the closest we see to seeing our actual Savior. We get the narratives of what he did and... And the reactions people had to him, and of course, the cross is, is uh, detailed. Um, now, Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel is the shortest, right? He's brief. You can read through the gospel of Mark fairly quickly. One sitting. It doesn't take that long. He is the most to the point. He narrows down the message to the most important, and he leaves out a lot of details of Jesus' ministry that Matthew and Luke and John include. Now, that doesn't mean he has less to say. He's not less profound, but perhaps he's more profound, because he chooses to speak the bare minimum only, to boil down what he considers the most important parts, Uh, and, and, and so that means every word carries meaning. There's no way that I or Pastor Scott or anyone else who will be helping preach this book over this year will be able to explore all the truths presented in Mark. For this reason, I urge you to join the study full force. 
right? I'm, I'm inviting you to open up the Gospel of Mark every week. Look at it closely. Take notes. Be ready for the weekend message with a mind familiar with the ground we're covering. Listen, God will speak to you through the Word of God as you read the Word of God. You don't have to even have been a Christian for more than a day for God to bless you with this. So why not just, just tune in to this journey so God can show you the Son of God? What's going to change your life more than anything is seeing Jesus. Um, by the way, I, I would like to recommend Crossway publishes this little The Gospel According to Mark Scripture Journal, and you can get it for five bucks um, on Amazon, all right? And, and if you happen to be at the Catanian campus, we have some copies in the bookstore. And it's really cool. They put a page of text and then a blank page so you can take notes. So if you want, you could use it at your quiet time. You open it up and read through during the week and make notes or even use it for your sermon note. I'd recommend something like that. Um, the Gospel of Mark is considered to be Peter's Gospel. Mark was a sidekick of Peter, and uh, there are scholars who would like to write out the similarities between 1st and 2nd Peter and Mark. So it's as if Mark was saying, if my master wanted to write this down, what would he say? Peter didn't seem to be a man of letters, all right? And and he comes across as uh, not a guy who reads novels, you know, when you read the, the Gospels, the big fishermen and all that. But it doesn't mean he didn't constantly preach the Gospel, and this is probably his Gospel. So we're going to dive right in. If you'd open your Bible to Mark chapter 1, and while you do, I'm going to take care of a distraction for me, these pieces of paper that are flying the whole time I'm talking. I don't know if they're all, you can all see them. So open to Mark 1. I don't know where they came from. Let me put them under there. That only means that the worship music after the sermon is going to be really weird. You, 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 Lori, could you come here? Real quick, real quick, you're stopping the sermon if you don't go quick. Come on, faster. This is my beautiful wife. I don't know if she's going to make the camera. Give that, to, give that to Dawn or that's a gift. It's a gift for me, for me to her. She gets a copy. All right, Mark 1, chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel, gospel, good news, glad tidings, that's what the word means. The beginning of the glad tidings of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this passage serves to introduce the Savior. Mark gets right to the point, the very first verse of Mark identifies the Savior's name, the Savior's identity, and the Savior's essence. That's what I mean. Mark is right to the point. He's brief, but he's packing a punch. He, his name, Jesus. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a, is a transliteration from a Greek word, which is an interpretation of a Hebrew word. So if you follow it backwards, it's the anointed one in Hebrew or the Messiah. So we know this is the great good news that there is a man named Jesus who also happens to be the Messiah and, oh, by the way, the Son of God. The Son of God. His name is Jesus. He's identified as the Christ. I'm reading for the map's sake here. Christ means anointed one or the Messiah of the Jews. His essence is he is God's own unique son. Other people will say that Jesus is a mere man. Or that uh, he, was, he was really thought up by his followers. I mean, he, he existed, but he was nowhere near as impressive as his writers say. And there's others who just say, well, I just can't believe that he is the son of God. But Mark leaves no doubt who he thinks he is. He leaves no doubt what the claim is. And I'd offer to you that if you're going to accept the book of Mark of having any wisdom at all, how can you reject its opening sentence? Mark says, I know exactly who he is. He's the Messiah. And I'm going to tell you about him. He's the Son of God. And he says, this is good news. Does not the earth need good news? It needed it in the first century. It needs it now. It needs it now. We need good news. Uh, People are worried. 
People are worried all over America. What's going to happen? It's only, it seems like it's getting worse. Uh, hey, I got good news for you. The Son of God has come. Let's move on to verse 2, 3, and 4. Mark continues, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, first Mark hits, bam, he's the son of God, Messiah, and his name is Jesus. But then he says, and guess what? The scriptures attest to this. Now he's a Jew, Mark is, so is Jesus. And when you say scriptures, we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament, but for the Jews in Jesus' day, all they had was the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. The scriptures, but whatever the scripture said, they believe God said. So Mark goes right there, and he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and now he quotes him, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The Jews had been waiting for a savior that had been promised all the way from back when Moses, who was the first Bible writer, started to write. They were waiting for a savior. And Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, said, you're going to know him because a messenger is going to show up first. And that's verse 4. John appeared. Now, this is not the guy who wrote the gospel of John. This is not the apostle John. This is John the baptizer often called John the Baptist, but he wasn't in any denomination, so (laughs) he wasn't really a Baptist. He was a baptizer, Um, but he was an interesting guy. Remember him? The other gospels tell us much more about him and how he was born and and how he stayed out in the the wilderness and ate bugs, And, and here he is. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is a weird thing for us. None of us expect to go out in the woods and just see a guy out there preaching. You know, If we do, we think he's off his rocker. Um, but there's John doing it. And so what is, what is Mark telling us? He's saying the Bible itself is witnessing. Mark, look at it this way. Mark is writing this book and he says, I'm a witness. I met this guy, Jesus. And I'm telling you, he's the Messiah And I'm telling you, he's the son of God. But it's not just me. The Bible itself said when he'd come. And it said you'd know it because a messenger would come. And that messenger is John. And to the contemporaries or the people at the time he wrote, this would not be outlandish because John was a remarkable figure. So what he's saying is not only do I witness to Christ, another witness to take the stand is the Bible itself. And, of course, then there's John himself. He's a man crying out in the wilderness. Now, John was famous. He was famous in his time. He was very, he had a miraculous birth. We, we mix up all the stories of Jesus' birth for Christmas because it's more fun to tell the whole thing and all the things, and we're squishing two years of events into one night so that we can carve them out of wood and stick them on our lawn. But, but really, we mythologize Christmas quite a bit. When Jesus came, nobody knew he came. Nobody. Except some shepherds. There were no wise men. They wouldn't come for a couple years. Just some shepherds and Mary and Joseph and anyone who might have believed Mary and Joseph. Which would be who? Nobody. (laughs) So like, I swear I didn't touch her dad. (laughs) Yeah, right, Joe. Um, I know how babies are made. Maybe they believe the shepherds. No, nobody believes shepherds. Jesus kind of snuck into the world. He was not famous. Nobody knew who he was. He, he grew up in a town that wasn't famous, Nazareth, and no one really knew him. Not so with John the Baptist. Jo- people knew John. Because when he came, his father was a priest who was doing his priestly duty, and then when he comes out, he can't talk. And he makes signs saying, I saw an angel. And people think he's nuts. And he's like doing his signs saying, if you think I'm nuts, wait till my old wife gets pregnant for the first time. But he can't say it. I don't know if he writes it. But he lets his wife know. Got to be a big moment for her to find that one out. (laughs) She's like, Zach, Zach Rye, you must be drinking in there. You come out, you can't talk. What the heck's wrong with you, old man? She's like, honey... 
She's like, no way. And she gets pregnant. And everybody, now they live in Jerusalem. They don't live in Nazareth. They live right near Jerusalem, the big town. He's a priest. Everybody knows. The talk is all over town. And then his wife gets pregnant. Now everyone wants to know. Then he has baby. She has the baby, and the baby comes out and, and says, what's it going to be? What's the name? And they're all arguing over the name because apparently you were allowed to argue over names back then. Now you're not allowed to argue. Right? If you go up to some woman who's having a baby in your family and say, you're going to name it what? That's a stupid name. You're in trouble. <laughs> you have to name it this after grandpa. You, you just forget it. Don't do it. But they were fighting over that. And, and, and the mom, Elizabeth, was saying, his name's going to be John. And they're like, nobody knows any Johns in our family. John is not a family name. We don't even like that name. And so... <laughs> Dad writes out, his name is John on a, on a slate or something. And then he, he can talk. And then he prophesies from the Holy Spirit. And the word spreads all over the hill country outside of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that people at the time of his birth said, what will this child be? They wanted to see what he'd turn out to be. And you know what? He did not disappoint. He never cut his hair. Never. <laughs> he lived in the wilderness he, he obviously had a sterling reputation. He ate bugs. He wouldn't drink wine. You'd think if you drink too much wine, you might start eating the grasshoppers. But he didn't drink any wine, and he ate the grasshoppers. And then he started to preach. And when my man preached, the crowds came out. The crowds came from Jerusalem and from all the area of Judea, even the Roman soldiers would come say, you got to hear this Jew preach. That dude, he looks like he smells bad. He dresses funny. He eats bugs. Which, by the way, could you preach in my garden? <laughs> Probably be good for the garden to have a guy eating all the bugs, but <laughs> a great preacher? But yeah, even Roman soldiers came to hear him preach. Everyone knew John, everybody. The people loved him. The leaders were kind of afraid of him. He was famous. As it turned out, he was appointed 100 years before by prophecy. I'm going to send a messenger, and you're going to know it. So here's what the text says in Mark, verse 5 to 8. In all the country of Judea, that would be wherever Jews live in Israel, and all Jerusalem, capital, were going out to him. He, they go out to the wilderness to hear him preach. And they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. How effective of a preacher. I wish I could preach in such a way that was so effective that everyone was cut to the heart, laid down their sins and repented. I, I'd be shocked if anyone stood up after I preached and said, by the way, I committed adultery last week. But they were doing that. They were cut to the heart. That's a powerful preacher. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. That's to help him go down easier. Spoonful of sugar kind of thing. And he preached saying... After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Hmm. So John's preaching was very popular. Um, so popular that even after he was dead, the Pharisees were afraid to speak against it lest the crowds turn on them. He was a favorite. People left town to see him and hear him. What was his message? What, what was it this man had to say? If he was today, some manager would run up to him and say, you got the crowds, buddy. You need to write a book. How about your best life in the first century? <laughs> You can make some serious money. Got to work on those teeth, the hair, uh, maybe a comb. <laughs> but he was called from God. He had a very simple message. 
after me, well, first he said, repent, right? Make straight the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. Get your act together. <laughs> but second, he, he said, but the guy after me, I couldn't even untie his shoes. Now, uh, feet, feet, <laughs> well, ever since I was a kid, you go in a shoe store, some guy takes your shoe off and he sticks your foot in this metal thing and he'll touch your socks and he'll put his shoe on there. Not so in the ancient Near East, not even in the, in the Middle East today. People don't do feet over there. We ain't doing feet. You better put your feet down. They don't put your feet up. I don't want to see the bottom of your foot. I don't want to touch your nasty foot. Right? It's got camel stuff on it or whatever. And feet, the lowest of servants would be the only one who would touch another person's sandal. You manage your own. You'd have to be very, very important and pay someone very unimportant. And you wouldn't pay him much to take off. And what John is saying, I may be the most popular preacher you know, but the guy after me, I am not even, I couldn't even raise up to the level of servant it would take to touch his foot. I was thinking, trying to think through what this would be like today. And I, was, I thought of the Dalai Lama. Never trust a man who only wears an orange bed seat and is named after a llama. But... If you don't know who he is, look him up. He is perhaps the most respected religious leader in the world today. Bar none. He has 18 and a half million Twitter followers. <laughs> he, he speaks all over the world. Tibet uh, and, and any Buddhist, they consider him literally the highest form of human on the planet And he, goes, and he, he won a Nobel Peace Prize. He comes to America, speaks at universities, packs out the house. When he speaks in China or India, he'll get, well, he doesn't go to China anymore. He's exiled, but he will get thousands of people. They don't think there's anyone holier. Even secular people who have no religion think the Dalai Lama, if anyone's holy on the earth, it's him. What if he went on TV, did an address, had thousands of people around, and said to everyone in the crowd, the guy who's about to come up is so much greater than me, I cannot touch his feet. People would say, dang, who's coming? And that's what all of Israel was hearing, the messenger foretold by the, by the scriptures. John, he's like, you think you like my sermons? Wait, 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 you see who's coming after me. Now, if you were to turn, and I'm not asking you to, to Isaiah 40, you'll see uh, what's being, actually, uh, not only is Isaiah, but Malachi is being quoted by Mark, but the, the Isaiah text comes from, from, or, uh, from 40, chapter 40. And after that is the message. Here's the message of the messenger. If you go down, I just cut out a part of it, verses 9 to 11. This is the message foretold hundreds of years before to tell of this Messiah. And this is how it's described. Go up on a high mountain, Zion. Zion always means Jerusalem or the Temple Mount. So it's figurative. Go up on a high mountain. Tell of the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, Jerusalem. This is your moment. Herald the good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. And his arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. John knows his scripture and he knows this is his message. He therefore, though no one else knows what he's saying, he's saying when Messiah comes, I will be able to say of him, behold your God. He knows who he's preaching about. That, he, that, that, that what it says in Isaiah, he is, he is the God who is powerful with might. 
that he comes to give rewards and he comes to punish, but those he comes to save, he is gentle as a shepherd with a baby lamb. This is great news, he knows. Do you think that's why he was such a powerful preacher? Do you think maybe that's why people came to see him? He knew who was going to come in his lifetime. He knew that what the man Israel had been waiting for was around the corner, and he was the only one who knew. And he told, well, unless an angel visited Mary, Mary knew. She might not have put it all together. He knew. And he was urgent. He was fully convinced. So when he stood there and he said, listen to me, Israel, stop sinning. Stop it. I'm telling you, Messiah is coming. Imagine. Imagine if Jesus Christ was going to materialize at your house and meet everyone you knew and everyone in your family. And you were to invite them to be there. And, And you knew he was coming and you knew the time. How would you communicate? And you knew he told you, your job, get them here and tell them I'm coming. How would you communicate? You'd be urgent. You'd be like, "Um, brother, listen, Jesus is coming. I want you to come to my house. If you don't believe me, come to my house anyway. But I'll tell you something, don't come drunk. I am not kidding you. You're going to need to clean up a bit. (laughs) Don't don't come (laughs) Jesus is going to be at my house. John preached with urgency. He preached with passion. I am convinced that he set himself on fire in front of those people. And they came to watch him burn. How many sermons are preached right out of the word of God with all the urgency of a sloth at the DMV? You know what I mean? It's really hard to believe that the guy preaching believes it when he talks about heaven and hell as if he's talking about Harrisburg. And so he preached, people heard, and then one day Jesus appeared and the Holy Spirit told John, that's him. What a day. Verse 9 of Mark 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. (laughs) How ironic. He was not famous at all. Just comes wandering down. Hey, I'm here. Let's get this thing going. (laughs) I got three years and a lot to do, buddy. Let's get moving. Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. Why on earth was Jesus baptized? This baptism of John, not the same as the baptism you get today or in the church. It was simply to say, okay, my sins, I'm washing them away because the Messiah's coming. Right? It's like, it's like, it's like getting dressed up because granny's on the way. Or you're going to a wedding. <laughs> it was like, I'm going to die in that water and come on out clean. Please forgive me, God. I'm ready to meet the Messiah. Jesus had no sin. He's the Son of God. Why on earth would he do that? Well, he tells us in other Gospels it's about obedience. The answer, I don't think John didn't understand. John would even say, hey, what's going on here, man? Jesus said, just do this, bud. Jesus submitted to baptism to identify with sinners. Are you a sinner? If you're pretty sure you're not a sinner, you're never going to see Jesus. <laughs> That's who he came to chill with. And he, he was baptized for me, in a way. He had to identify with me, I should say. I needed to die to sin, he didn't. You need to die to sin. He didn't. 
He didn't need to repent, but he was baptized. (laughs) He didn't need to suffer, but he died on a cross. Why? God loves people. When he came to earth, it wasn't to tell us how ticked off he was at our sins. He'd done that many times in many ways, and he'll do it again if that's what we insist on. But the reason he came to earth was not to condemn, but to save. I'm going to be one of you. I'm going to be baptized, though I don't need to be. I'm going to go to that cross and die, though I shouldn't die. Why? Die the death, pay the price. So that when he rose from the dead, then it's my turn and your turn to identify with him. To do something we can't do right now. Beat death, get up in a brand new body that can't die. I can't do that. Can you do that? You can't do that. I'm going to do that. He shared our sorrows so we could share his resurrection. And he's at the front end of that. And he says, John, listen, son. Just do it. You don't have to understand now. Just do it. That's paraphrasing. I don't know exactly how he said it. Verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw, and this is John saw, the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So he comes out of the water and two things happen. Number one, the spirit somehow is symbolized like a dove. So I don't think it is a dove. It's like a dove. I can't imagine exactly what we're talking about, so I won't try to describe what I cannot imagine. But it was proof that the Holy Spirit of God was saying, this is the guy. John, you were right. You gave your whole life to this. You never got married. Heck, you never even looked right. But you were faithful. You've been rewarded. This is him. So Mark starts, look how Mark's doing his gospel. He's saying, I'm here to tell you, this is the beginning of the great tidings of Jesus, the man. He's also the Christ, the Messiah. He's also the Son of God. And I'm here to tell you that the scripture testified of him through the prophets by sending a messenger. And now I'm here to tell you that the lawyer called another witness to the stand. Who is it? The Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God said, yep, that's him, but we're not finished, are we? Who else testified? This is the second thing that happened. God, the Father, spoke from heaven. A very rare event in the Bible. It almost never happens. That God, the Father, just speaks in the sky. <laughs> and what do he call him? Son. What do he call him? Beloved. What do he call him? The one I have tremendous pleasure in. Oh, that every human son and daughter had a father who behaved even close to that, assuring his son or daughter that they are theirs that they are loved and that they're pleasing. If you, if you didn't have that, because of Jesus Christ, you can have that because that's God. And he loves his son. So the Trinity is displayed right here. We, we don't even get to like the 11th verse. And, and the Trinity, the triune God, there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they all met in the pool. <laughs> we'll meet at the pool. He comes up, there's the Son, the Spirit, the Father. John the Baptist, the prophets, Mark, they all agree, this is the Son of God. This changes everything. Not just for the Jews, but the whole world. The author of the play has come into the story. (laughs) The painter of the painting Painted himself. As we read this text, God wants us to recognize his son, the Messiah of the Jews, Jesus. 
God wants you to see that Jesus is not just another wise man like the Dalai Lama or the Dalai Camel. He could be a Dalai Alpaca. He's nowhere near Jesus because he's the son of God. That's what God wants you right now as you hear his word read and proclaimed to know. And Mark makes no bones about it. He doesn't blink. He doesn't stutter. He does not equivocate. This is the Messiah. So that's all the text we're going to cover today from Mark. Tune in again next week. But before we end, I want to ask and answer this question. How should we respond to the identity of Jesus? If if, if the identity of Jesus is being revealed to us as the Messiah, the Son of God, what should we do with that? Now, I know most of those who hear me are, uh, or at least would profess to be Christians, maybe not all, but most. And so I would say this. First, two things, really. One, recognize that the rest of the world doesn't see him for who he is. Or seeing who he is, they deny him. Recognize that the rest of the world, by the rest of the world I mean anyone who doesn't believe in Christ, doesn't see him for who he is, or even if they do, they deny him. Because you can, you can be blind to who he is, or you can know who he is and deny him, deceiving the self. On trial, we fast forward three years from this moment in the scripture, Jesus Jesus doesn't, he's not just hung on a cross, he gets a trial. In fact, he gets three trials. Now, his trial, on trial, what is the charge against him? What is his crime? He's not charged with a crime. He's charged with an identity. I love watching police shows, who doesn't? Maybe some of you have lived some police shows. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? Maybe you're on an episode. I don't know. But a lot of times, whether you're watching bad boys or real cop shows or fake cop shows, someone gets arrested and they go, what, are, what crime are you charging me with? What if you were being arrested and you, and you didn't expect it? You said, what did I do? What's the crime? What if the cop said to you, you didn't commit a crime, you're being arrested for being you. <laughs> it's just illegal to be you. Well, you're, you're kind of up, up the river. Well, that was, that was really the crime against Jesus. The Pharisees and Sadducees, who were the religious hotshots of the day, they saw all their Jewish countrymen, or many of them calling him Son of David, Lord, Son of God, Messiah, and they didn't like that. The whole reason they arrested him in the first place was because of who people thought he was, not because of what he did. He didn't break any laws. They rejected the very identity that John lived his life to declare at the front end. John died right after. And and he lived for one reason, to say, Messiah's coming, that's him. Everybody loved to hear him preach. Everyone went to hear him preach. The leaders, they were a little worried of what could happen, and they should have been, because he was telling the truth, that's the son of God, and the leaders went, no. He would heal folks in front of them, and they'd go, do you do that on a Saturday? We don't do that on Saturdays. You're like, you want to take a Pharisee under your arm, give him some noogies, and go, McFly! They didn't, they didn't want to be thought of as sinners. And like I said, if you don't want to be thought of as sinners, a sinner, you, if you're so good, if you're so moral that you don't want to see that you, you have a problem, you're not going to see Jesus. Even if you see him. They were blind, though they see. Jesus even said to them at one point, he says, if you were blind, you'd have an excuse. But you say you see in your Still blind, so you have no excuse. So they took him to the Romans, and they said, punish this man as a criminal. He ends up before 
the governor, Pilate, who says, okay, what has he done? Said He makes himself out to be a king. He doesn't look like a king to me. Tell you what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'll have him beat. And they beat him. The soldiers beat him and mocked him and made him bleed and threw a robe on him and laughed at him and put a crown of thorns on his head and whacked him with a stick. And he was really rugged. He looked like he'd been dragged behind a tractor across gravel for 10 miles. And then they brought him back to Pilate and he looked over this crumbling man with thorns in his head, (laughs) blood running down and some ugly robe on him and he goes... Don't look like much to me. Brings him out. Let me read to you from John 19. Pilate went out again and he said to him, See, I'm bringing him out to you so you can know I don't find any guilt in him. He didn't do nothing wrong. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. He's no Messiah, he's no king, he's nothing, he's a man. They're like, well then kill him, (laughs) crucify him then. Pilate removed Jesus, talked to him alone for a while. I'm trying to get you out of this thing. He wanted to release him, brought him out a second time. Look at this pathetic man, and he said this, behold your king. John 19, 14. Now, Pilate was telling the truth. Didn't know it. He didn't know it. That was their king. Pharisees, if they knew it, they were denying it. That was their king. All he saw was a weak man. He's saying, are you scared of this dude? And Jesus, instead of walking on water or stopping wind or doing miracles or healing himself, he just said, okay, let's do this. Like a sheep. Silent before the shears, he just suffered. Why? He had to suffer to pay the penalty for the sins of the people who were persecuting him and you and me. That's what he came for. So they said, crucify that king because he ain't our king. So Pilate had the word king of the Jews Nailed to a cross. They stripped him naked in front of his mother and they nailed him bloody to a cross. Don't believe the art you see. It never, and I don't want to see realistic art of Jesus on the cross because I think it's shameful to paint a picture of Jesus naked. But he was naked and he was, he was looking bad. But he put on top of that, almost like a sick joke, king of the Jews. And that was his crime. And that's how our Savior died. Now, he rose three days later, and can I tell you something? He looked good. My man looked good. And he'll never die again. But I want you to see the issue at his trial was his identity. That was the issue. The Jewish priest said he's a sinner. Pilate says he's a mere man. The apostle says he's the Messiah. And they would all go on to suffer and die for him. At that moment, though, they ran and hid. (laughs) And it's the same today. The world does not honor Jesus as the Son of God or as the Messiah, and to follow Jesus means you will be at odds with the world. There are many preachers, I'm sad to say, that realize it's scary to be for you at odds with the world, so they will simply go ahead and reshape Jesus into a Jesus that looks like the world, so you don't have to be afraid of being rejected. But I'm here to tell you, if you Follow Jesus. If you declare Jesus, if you receive his spirit in you, you are going to be different than the world you live in. And worse, the world you live in will ultimately be hostile towards you because they're hostile towards the Son of God. Everyone is when they see him for who he is until and unless they humble themselves and ask for mercy. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Amen. What about you? Do you know who he is? Are you ashamed of him? Will you swear allegiance to him? 
Would you die for him? Would you live for him? Would you stand against the most powerful forces in the world? I met last night, Thursday night, if you're hearing this on a Sunday, with an Iranian Christian. He says, I can't go home. I can't go home. Why not? (laughs) Because Christianity is spreading like wildfire in Iran. And if I go home, they will kill me. The government will kill me. I'm not shocked that people don't want prayer in schools in America. I'm not shocked that they want to take God off every public place. I'm shocked it took so long. Jesus is offensive to anyone who will not follow him. I'm not. Well, I might be. But it's not a big deal for me to be offensive. But Jesus is offensive because he testifies that the whole world is under sin and in need of a Savior. You would say, I, I have trouble understanding you, Pastor Mike. Okay, look at it this way. The righteousness of mankind was displayed on the cross. If mankind was righteous, God would not have become a man and died. So that's as good as we ever get. And the world doesn't like that message. Second thing we should do, seeing his identity, and I, I'm so burdened with this one, I can't think, uh, this may be the only thing I preach the rest of my life. You need to glow red hot like John. There's way too much mediocre in the Christian life in America. You need to glow. You need to glow. You need to be on fire. You got to stir that up. (laughs) In the book of Revelation to Laodicea, you know what the solution Jesus gave them for their lukewarmness was? Stir up your zeal. You don't want to feel passion for Christ. Jesus doesn't say, oh, come here, poor thing. He says, then stir it up. Stir it up. John lived his entire life for one reason, the Messiah. He didn't get married. He didn't even get good food. And he had bad hair. And when it was done, they lopped off his head saying, that's all you get. But he knew. He knew. the one. I tell you what. <laughs> he preached like a man on fire because he was motivated by the nearness of the Messiah He had a life fueled by the certainty of Jesus. That is the life I must have. That is the life, Christian, you must have. Fueled by the certainty that that all is not lost on this earth. Salvation is here. Salvation is coming. And so is judgment. You're on the right doggone side. And you got the best prize in the world. God himself. It is time for you to doggone it. Fly your stinking freak Flag high and unashamed. We're to be like John. We are to honor him in our hearts, herald him in the world, living with certainty of his greatness, goodness, and nearness, and letting our passions grow from that certainty. Many people who claim Christ have all the passion of a person online at the bank. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Christ is boring. Christ is powerless. Christ is far away. I'm boarding church and I'm boarding Jesus. We have a lot in common with John the Baptist. We know the identity of the Savior like he did. We know the scriptures attest to him like he did. We know the Spirit of God attests to him. We know God is pleased with him. We know he's soon to come back. And we know that his right hands are pleasures forevermore. What pleasures? Things that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which has not entered into the heart of man. That has God prepared for him. We should honor him high in a world that thinks we're stupid for honoring him. Why? Because one day, what kind of blessings do you get in heaven? I don't 
No, and neither do you. What's better, you can't even imagine. God can say to you, imagine the best thing you want in heaven. And you'll start to think, he'll go, nah, psych, don't even try, you can't do it. It's never even entered in your mind what I got for you. I don't, we're not here to hang our heads and go, if the right guy isn't elected, Jesus, and we're going down the toilet like a bunch of losers thinking that the kingdom of God depends on a vote. We all have weaknesses. I know I have many, but I know this. I've never had a passion in my life greater than Jesus. That's why I came to him when I was 20. I don't even know why. I just knew there's something more valuable in my life now. It's Jesus or nothing. The last words of the Bible, he who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says to you, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The last words of the Bible are to be the first motivation of every single day of your life. So what should you do? You should stir up your own zeal. You don't got a passion for Christ? Stir it up, baby, and stir up your neighbors. Look on the Savior. Why? Because it's your turn to bear witness to him on earth. John's not here. Mark isn't here. Jesus in the flesh is not here. The apostles are not here. It's you on fire at your job, in your family, in your town, or it's nobody. And it's your job to catch on fire. And the people come to watch you burn. And then you to be the freak saying, it's Jesus. And don't be ashamed. Many will run to him if you do that. They'll see you and they'll go, I want him. And they'll be saved. And they'll be saved. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.